Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. In San Francisco, I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Washington, D.C. is Ben Olson. Ben, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks. Yourself? You... Oh, great, great. Been um, trying to keep busy. Um, went to the uh, San Francisco, you know, it's just weird. Um, on Easter Sunday, I went to the Hunky Jesus contest. Uh, okay, what's that? Well, it's just, what does it sound like? It's, uh, <laughs> I don't know, actually. <laughs> it was about 3,000 people uh, hanging out in Golden Gate Park watching a contest of for the most hunkiest Jesus. Okay. So um, everybody, I'm sure, out there will be uh, excited to know that um, baby Jesus defeated narrowly defeated roller disco Jesus. It was a close contest, but uh, the guy who was dressed as a baby wearing a diaper won uh, over the guy on roller skates doing awesome roller disco moves. Ah, yes. So wait, do you like vote? As it just how do how do they decide? <laughs> you vote with your applause. Ah, okay. And screams. Cool. Yeah, you know it's a just a super weird. Uh, place that's part of why i love living in san francisco so um anyway i thought i would get that important news out there about uh, the hunky jesus contest today yeah, we, we <laughs> go ahead oh we had a little bit more um maybe traditional uh <laughs> activities going on here in dc we have the cherry blossom festival which tons of people come to it's pretty cool there are a lot of i guess uh, japan gave us a bunch of uh, cherry trees and they all blossom at this time um and we were going to go in but then we found out that there was a marathon which a lot of students in my class were actually running in um i think a marathon or some some sort of race and it was just like there's no way to get into dc with all those people so i guess we've we've given up on the cherry blossom <laughs> that's too bad well i'm sure the cherries cherry trees are still in bloom if you want to just go down there and check yes. them out some other yes. time huh? yeah so a little less, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Good. Well, we covered the whole, we covered the whole gamut. Did you do any like uh, Easter egg hunting with the kids? Um, no, but we do have uh, eight chickens. We used to have 11, but um, uh, they've been eaten by foxes, unfortunately. But um, we're, we're working on that, trying to remedy that problem. But since we have chickens, they lay eggs, and sometimes they lay them in the yard. So every every morning, we're actually searching for eggs. So, wow! So it's like it becomes like a job then. It, yeah, it, that's the idea. So, <laughs> and fortunately, it's not my job, but the kids the kids like doing. It. I mean, most of them are in the coop, so it's not that hard. But sometimes you find them in the yard. You said you have eight chickens. That's right. And you used to have eleven, but three of them got eaten. Yeah, one of them, unfortunately, we. Uh, it was during the day. Usually foxes only come at night, and so you put them in the coop and they're fine. But just the other morning, I don't know, I guess the fox or the raccoon or whatever was really hungry. I think it was a fox, and it there's, like, feathers everywhere. It's, it's a little shocking for the kids, but they're getting used to it. Farm life, I guess. Yeah, circle of life. Wow, amazing. Yeah. Cool. Uh, on today's show, we are going to make a little announcement about our Logic Games book, or at least I'm going to make an announcement about our Logic Games book. We're going to address three different questions from LSAT students out there across the country. And we're going to then at the end of the show, dive into some real logical reasoning questions from the June 2007 
past. So first, um, the book. I mm -hmm. am happy to announce that the ball is no longer in my court because the, <laughs> <laughs> the first draft of our new Logic Games book, and I think we're going to call it the Thinking LSAT Logic, Go Logic Games Playbook. It's kind of a mouthful, but I guess we'll probably refer to it as the Logic Games Playbook. Uh, has the, I have finished the first uh, very rough draft, and the ball is now in Ben's court to edit me down and uh, put together some of the diagrams and that sort of stuff. So, Ben, any announcements for the listeners? Uh, I'm excited to report that I'm excited about <laughs> what I'm working on, and um, I hope that uh, it haps, happens faster than I'm thinking in my mind but um yeah it's it's uh it's going forward and uh, i'm not too sure about what day we're exactly thinking about or month yet necessarily <laughs> but yes i'm excited and it's in my court and i'm i'm working on it so sometime this summer i think we should be able to have the book probably finished uh sometime late this spring we should have some free content to distribute um, I was also thinking we got those uh, covers, uh, co draft covers back from our guy Eric in Vancouver. Um, did you take a look at those, Ben? Yeah, no, I did. I was uh, meaning to get back to both of you, actually. I liked the uh, second to last one. Interesting. Okay, well, well, we'll take a look at those. Maybe we can post, uh, we could post those, huh, on our <clears throat> website for people yeah, to look see at what if people they're think. interested. Yeah, okay, so um, we will do that and uh, we'll give you guys some some stuff to look at shortly. But I think the book is going to be great. Um, I was really happy with it when I got finished with my rough draft. So I'm excited to get it done and start using it in our classes and start uh, start giving access to it to everybody. Yeah. Okay. Um, so first, uh, so okay, we got that taken care of. We're going to do some questions from students. Ben and I have already chatted about this one a little bit. It's kind of funny, but um, we got an email to the help at thinkinglsat.com email address. That, by the way, goes to both Ben and I. So um, if you want to contact either one of us, help at thinkinglsat.com for your questions. But Kathleen at Texas State writes, recently I've been spending a lot of time looking into law schools and trying to determine which would be a good fit for me. I started reading horror stories of students who graduated from college in three years being rejected by all or most of their top choice schools, regardless of GPA and LSAT. Needless to say, I'm terrified. Is graduating in three years going to kill my chances of getting into a highly ranked school? Ben, what do you think? So my, my gut reaction, and this is what I told uh, Katie, was uh, no. I... I when I hear that someone has graduated in three years, um, assuming they have a high GPA, and I think she does, right? She said she had like a 4.0 or something like that. I think it was very high. To me, that just sounds like, okay, um, college was easier for you. Um, you were able to focus and get done what you need to get done. So I don't see how or why law schools would look down on that. I mean, the only like... <clears throat> I, I I agree with you. I think it's I think it's ridiculous, and I think that Katie has you know she fell into this trap of reading too much on a lot of the blogs out there or message boards out there, and I think she's gotten some bad 
slash scary advice. And I, yeah, I think there's no truth whatsoever to this. I had never heard of it before until she emailed us. Um, the only credible case for it would be something like, well, the student is not mature enough to handle law school because they graduated in three years. Like if they were too young for law school, right? Yeah. I, I mean, that's the only reasonable case, but how is it immature that she has graduated in three years with a 4.0? Yeah. I mean, how does that in any way indicate that she's not ready for law school? Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't see how it is. And and in fact, um, I think a lot of times when people are applying to law school, they're concerned about their work experience. Um you know, they asked me, should I have a year of work experience? Should I have two years of work experience? And although I'm sure those things can on occasion help, at the end of the day, you're going to school. And so I think law schools are more concerned about how you did in school because that's going to determine how well you're going to do in law school. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't even know if, you know, waiting to go to law school is necessarily that much that that beneficial so why you know i don't know in any case my point is is that doing well in school seems like a good thing and why not just go on to law school i'm kind of rambling here but no i think but, but you're, you're totally right i mean i think there's just no way that law schools are kicking people or rejecting people because they because they graduated from law school too quickly i mean like if she's doogie hauser or whatever you know well what she's a genius like, of course they want her if yeah. she's a genius there's no there's no reason not to be admitting people now um there are <clears throat> people out there who might have applied to law school and been rejected after graduating from law school in three years with a good lsat and a good gpa there are reasons why you can get rejected but those reasons would be something other than graduating from law school in three years yeah um, and Ben, you mentioned in your email to Katie, you mentioned possible immaturity as demonstrated by your personal statement. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, sometimes I'll get personal statements from people that don't sound really well thought out. And so if someone is applying after only attending three years of school, and then you combine that with a personal statement that sounds, you know, a little immature, either because it's arrogant or just they're going to law school for sort of the wrong reasons and they make that explicit, um, then that could reinforce an idea, oh, this person is young. And maybe that combined together would get them rejected. But I, it would be because of the personal statement, not because of the three years by itself. Yeah, but you can see how somebody who was arrogant would maybe think that they had been rejected because of their youth. <laughs> they could rationalize that to themselves, right? Yeah. Oh well, sure. I definitely didn't get in. It's because I'm young. It's not. It's not because. It's not because of any other thing. It couldn't possibly have been the <laughs> fact that on my personal statement I wrote about how I wanted to go to law school because I think Suits is an awesome TV show, and you know, or. <laughs> What other immature things? Oh, um, a lot of like really flowery and overly, um, I don't know, I'm not expressing myself very well, but if you, 
when you say that you're a uniquely qualified candidate for law school, but you're 20 years old and you've never really done anything, you know, like my summer abroad makes me a uniquely qualified candidate. It's just some of those kinds of things can really grate. I think Um, maybe I'm just getting old, (laughs) but um, when I see those, when I see those things that indicate that you might be lacking a little bit in perspective, then I then I can see how how a committee might say, ah, oh, yeah, we might want to throw this one back and catch him when he's a little bit more mature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, anyways, from our interactions with Katie, she certainly did not seem like she was uh, immature in the slightest. So I think uh, she should go for it. Yeah. I'm going to skip to um, we have another question here, which kind of ties in a little bit. So uh, one of the students in my online LSAT program emailed me and asked, as I am planning for my summer, I'm wondering what kind of summer job will likely boost my law school application. Um, He's a sophomore. For example, would a student who does a legal internship at a district attorney's office be looked upon more favorably than a student who works a barista job at Barnes & Noble? Does it matter? I I would say that it does. I think that, um, I mean, as I was just saying a little bit ago, I don't know how important experience is because a lot of people's experiences, work experiences, aren't necessarily that impressive. Even when you get a job at a law firm or you know a legal sort of position, you're doing sort of low-end stuff. But I do think that the value in, say, I mean, he's, his example is sort of extreme, having a legal internship at the district attorney's office versus working at Barnes & Noble's in the cafe, but <laughs> <laughs> I think that the the difference there would be as an if I were reviewing his application, I would say, oh, well, this person wants to apply to law school after working at least around attorneys in a the district attorney's office. Um, he probably has some sense, at least even just from talking to the his coworkers, of what he's getting into. Whereas someone who worked at a cafe, um, you know, are they applying <laughs> like you said because they watch suits and they think that this is this is their ticket out of the the cafe. So you're you're saying yes. Um, I think my response is a yes, but a very qualified yes. So okay, I I just think I think it counts, but I think it only counts at the margins, and I don't think it counts as much as say improving your LSAT score by another three points. I, I definitely agree. And GPA is going to be a lot more important. I think people depend on or hope to depend on their work experience to salvage their poor numbers. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's going to do very much. I, I have to agree with that. I think it was just when you're looking at the whole package, if you look at someone like this who worked at the district attorney's office, depend, it would, again, it would depend on what they say in their personal statement and the rest of their package. But at least I would think to myself, hmm, he knows a, a little bit more about presumably what he's getting into yeah oh i mean so i guess what i'm trying i I think the reason to do it is actually not because it's going to look good on your application you know if if alec wants to get a legal internship at the da's office i think that's awesome if he's doing it out of a legitimate desire to get experience working in the DA's office or get experience working around lawyers or meet lawyers and find out what lawyers really do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, I think people need to look at it as 
this is the beginning of your legal career rather than look at it as, oh, this is going to help my law school application. Because yeah. the truth is, you know, I, I'm, I'm 100% convinced that the student with no internship whatsoever but three points higher on the LSAT is going to be admitted over the student with awesome legal internship experience and three points lower on the LSAT. For sure. And it would also depend on their personal statement. I mean, what you say is going to reveal a lot about what you th think you're doing. And someone with that experience who still writes foolish reasons for going to law school or whatever. Or, or just doesn't put together a credible case, you know, like they, they write their personal statement and they, they mention that they did this legal internship, but it just doesn't seem like they learned anything or it doesn't seem like they, they had any actual real meaningful experience there, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. or, they, or they write about like, well, I know I don't want to be a litigator after this experience. I want to do some other kind of law. And it's like, okay, well, then how does that help your, <laughs> how does that help your case really? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so I guess at the margins, absolutely. If all else is equal, you have the same LSAT score, same GPA, then, you know, a thing like work experience, whether after school or during school is, yeah, sure. Everything is going to count when you're like right on the bubble, but the, the big picture things, the things that Alec can really control and the thing that's really going to move the needle is getting a few higher LSAT points and getting a you know as good a grades as he can possibly get and putting together a, a, a law school admissions package, personal statement and letters of recommendation and everything that really makes sense to the committee. Um, and just tacking an internship on, it just looks pretty hollow, I think. So I would say just don't make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. This raises a, a kind of related question, and that is um, sometimes people are studying for the LSAT, you know, their senior year or, yeah, their senior year, and they're, they're taking classes in school, and they're trying to do well in those so they can maintain or improve their GPA, but at the same time, they're trying to do well in the LSAT. Um, when push comes to shove, I guess I tend to lean towards the LSAT because I feel like regardless of what grade you get in those classes, it's not going to have a huge impact on your overall GPA. At the same time, you don't want to have low GPA, you know, low grades your last semester. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, I'd say that to people all the time. I mean, it, it's like I'm not telling people to, to totally space out in their last semester and get a bunch of C's, mm -hmm. you know, um, because you can bump your GPA down <laughs> a bit yeah. if, if you don't do anything. But like... What I f more frequently find is people who kind of got mediocre grades early in their college career, and then they, you know, halfway through college, they decided, oh, shit, I want to go to law school. I better get my act together. I, you know, and they start getting a bunch of A's, and they start working really hard. And then and now they're in their senior year, and they're, they're like, trying to get from a 3.6 to a 3.7. Yeah. And it's, like, the only way you do that in your senior year is to get, like, straight A pluses. You know, mm -hmm. you, you have to get, and, and we all know that getting an A minus is maybe not that hard. And if you got the A minus, you would keep your 3.7. Getting the mm -hmm. A or the A plus might be really, really hard. You know, you mm -hmm. might have to put in four times as much work in order to get the A plus. Yeah. And I'm just not sure that raising your GPA, that fraction of a point at the last minute Oh, absolutely. It looks good. But 
I don't think it, you know, it's not as easy for the committee to understand as a high LSAT score is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if, if the choice is, you know, let's say it's going to take you 80 hours this semester to get an A plus, I think it's a no brainer that that 80 hours would, it'd be better to just take the B plus or the A minus and spend that 80 hours. Um, because with 80 hours, you can absolutely increase your LSAT score by three, four, five, ten 10 points. Yeah. And that puts you in an entirely different league um, of law school applicants. Yeah, I agree. Um, last question from students. Um, I think this one came just to my email address directly, which that's fine, by the way, uh, Nathan at foxlsat.com. If you want to email me directly, ben at strategyprep.com. If you want to email Ben, um, so Jimmy says, there's two kind of two issues here. Um, Jimmy says, I'm a big believer in advocating alcohol before the LSAT, though Seven Sage recommends abstaining for two months. Is that time frame really necessary? I'm not a big drinker, but my birthday is about two weeks prior to the test, and I hoped to visit some wineries. Um, let's start with that. What do you, what do you think about that, Ben? Well... You know, I, I don't really know. I mean, I've read somewhere that said, like, if you drink and then you take a test or something like that, um, you'll do better if you keep drinking than if you stop <laughs> <laughs> before you take the test. So um, I guess my my general advice for anybody doing anything is to keep doing whatever you normally do. So I wouldn't drink a lot before or I wouldn't necessarily drink less but that's just I'm, I don't know what do you think yeah I mean I, I kind of just think moderation is a good idea um, this plan I mean if you're an alcoholic if you if you can't control it then it's probably a good idea that you abstain from alcohol period like regardless of whether you're taking the LSAT or not um, so if this is like the kind of thing where, you know, people who are coming out of college and they're used to partying every single day and, and, and now they're going to have to go on the wagon in order to study for the LSAT. Okay, fine. If, if you can't, if you can't control it, but like the person that has a glass of wine at night or the person who goes out with their buddies and has a few beers every once in a while, um, it, I, I just can't. I can't imagine that that is detrimental to your performance on the LSAT. Um, I drink a lot and uh, (laughs) I do fine. Um, I know a lot of people who drink a lot and they do fine. A lot of my very smartest friends in the entire world like to drink. And um, I'm not saying it's good for you, but it is fun and it's one of the things that for me makes life sort of worth living is having a beer with my <laughs> with my buddies <laughs> and um i mean it, one of many things you know don't you don't need to call the alcohol helpline um right now on my behalf but this idea of i can't I'm, this is the first i've heard of it but seven sage recommending that you abstain i don't know that that's really true that that's what they're saying but abstaining for two months um from the LSAT or for, from alcohol before the LSAT seems pretty harsh. Um, if I tried to do that, I would feel like I was depriving myself. Yeah. 
um, I would feel miserable. Yeah. I would feel like I wasn't having fun in my life. I would start to question, like, why am I doing this? Do I really, is this, you know, law school really for me? It just seems too extreme. So um, in my classes, I do Saturday practice tests. And I do, I do try to tell people not to, like, go out and booze it too hard on the Friday night before that practice test. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I think that the hangover can definitely hurt your performance. But there's no way I would say don't have a beer or two with your buddies. And there's also no way I would say don't go out and have a good time on Super Bowl Sunday or, you know, your birthday or whatever. Um, That just seems absurd. So, you know, I mean, I'm an alcoholic, but I give (laughs) all the listeners out there, I give you permission to go ahead and keep drinking. Matter of fact, I mean, I buy wine during my LSAT classes. I I literally give wine to my students during LSAT class frequently. Is this advertised on your website? No, I don't. (laughs) I like to do it just like as a surprise. No, no, it's a surprise. We We just have a happy hour every once in a while. But I mean, well, I was just kidding about the advertising, but I, I think what they are getting, I think they're getting this two months thing from there was like some study that was done that said like the effects of alcohol consumption can last up to two months or something on your, your brain or whatever. But I, see. I, I think that your point about like you have to, even if that's true, you have to weigh that against the other things that are going to happen if you try to abstain for two months, some of which could be good, I guess, if you're trying to, to stop drinking. But um, it could also, like you're saying, affect you know how you're feeling. If you're not as happy, you're not going to study as much or you may not have the motivation to. And there's going to be other consequences. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So this is now making me think of those studies that they've, that they've had of... Um, well, I'm gonna I'm making I'm just gonna make up the facts, but it's it's something close to <laughs> good, very credible. Go ahead. <laughs> it's something close to um, if you they did some study where it was it was like they gave people um, a a test, and the test was kind of hard. It was kind of not that fun, but it was like you know figure out this puzzle, and um, some of them they just gave them the test and some of them they gave them like a plate of cookies and you could you could like choose whether or not to eat the cookies or some people were told that they could eat the cookies and some people were told i'm sorry you can't eat the cookies yeah yeah this is a willpower test okay the, the, the puzzle was actually impossible to solve oh i see okay and people persisted people who were who who were um didn't have to use willpower to not eat the cookie persisted in doing the task longer. Yeah, and I think some people were given radishes too or something. Oh. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> told, I don't know if they were told to eat them or not, but oh, raw radishes, that sounds awful. But um, yeah, and they okay. persisted longer if they had more, if they it's, didn't have to use willpower either, either to avoid eating the cookie or to eat the radishes. Yes. And so you're saying that if you don't waste your willpower on trying to avoid drinking, you can then use that to, to, do, to like do another not, question yeah. in the Fox book. By the <laughs> way, did, <laughs> yeah. did I mention on the show my student who started 
drinking while doing your book? That drinking sounds a little. That's started. A little loaded. My book drove drove them to no, start no. No, that that was poorly worded. Um, sorry. So she she well, I have them do seven to fourteen questions a day. Just okay. like go go do seven to fourteen. Set a goal for yourself, and then if you do that, eventually you'll be done in like seven weeks or something like that. But okay. Um, she was getting some wrong, and she realized that she kind of likes to just get questions done and not uh, pause and reflect on maybe two tempting answers and think about them a little more carefully. So she really wanted a beer, so she got a beer out, and she said that she could only get a sip if she got it correct. <laughs> and her her accuracy, like, totally ballooned. It just... <laughs> Went through the roof, and she was like, "Wow, this is amazing." I mean, she's a really smart um, student, so I, you know, I'm not surprised. I think she just likes to do things quickly. But I've been uh, passing this advice on to others, kind of changing a little bit. Like, you know, you could do like M and M's or something, but you can't have uh, whatever you want, whatever that is, if it's a sip of beer or something else, until you get one right, and then you can do another one. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, no, that's great. I'm happy that she's drinking while she's reading the book. I, <laughs> I was definitely drinking while I was writing the book. So okay, um, good, yeah. that's uh, <clears throat> cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So sounds like we're both kind of on the page of this two months of abstinence might be a little extreme. Um, yeah. I'm not advocating for going out and developing an alcohol habit if you don't already have one, but uh, you know, if you like to, have a cold one with your buddies. Um, I can't imagine not doing that for two months just because you're studying for the LSAT. Seems seems a little extreme. No, I should I should add one final note. Yeah. I don't I don't drink myself, so I'm not trying to advocate for that at all. If someone wants to abstain for these two months and then continue that 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 lifestyle, go all you know go for it. But oh I, yeah, I think it's better just to do whatever you know works for you. Yeah, if if you uh, totally, if you don't drink, that's fine. If you do drink, I think that's fine too. Um, I think punishing yourself for two months while you're studying for the LSAT, I don't know. You might already be getting punished enough um, just by doing all of this work all the time, and um, maybe the this advice of abstaining when you're already a drinker just seems a little crazy to me. Yeah. Okay. Um, second question, also from Jimmy says any tips on lessening slash avoiding eye fatigue and quote LSAT headaches from practice tests. Um, any thoughts? Well, when I read this, I, I actually, this was a surprise to me. I've haven't, I've heard of people being fatigued and saying, Whoa, you know, the test I took on Saturday, with everyone else in a proctored setting those we did five sections because I, I give them an experimental section was really long and I was just kind of trying to just finish the last two sections and I, I didn't really care about what answers I chose but I haven't heard of LSAT headaches have, have you I have not heard I mean and he put this in quotes like as if it was a thing yeah, LSAT headaches. Um, maybe maybe it is a thing. He capitalized. We need it. to get we need to get uh, on the ball here, but yeah. I've never heard of it. No, I've never heard of it either. Um, eye fatigue. Uh, I don't know. Do you need reading glasses? Maybe. You know, my grandfathers, both of them, 
worked their asses off for like their entire life and they were like uh you know picking peaches <laughs> and uh moving sprinkler pipe and stacking brush in the 110 degrees in the central valley <laughs> and yeah. like working for a living yeah and so um and i thank god was exposed to a tiny little bit of that when I was a kid. Like I would go out to the farm and do like a little bit of manual labor mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. just enough to, you know, my dad would be like, so you're going to go to college, right? You're going to not <laughs> do this. Right. And it was like, uh-huh. And watching them work so hard, I guess just, I mean, and my grandmothers too, and my mom and dad for that matter. Like I, I come from a, a bunch of really hardworking, you know, country folks and um so when i hear people complaining about um getting tired on the lsat or having eye fatigue or having lsat headaches or whatever i just kind of want to say you know really you're you're sitting in an air-conditioned room on a padded chair doing a test for three hours um i just think people are i don't know it, it seems like they're lacking a little bit of perspective on what hard work and what fatigue really are so i mean <laughs> we could give all the tips like close your eyes for 10 seconds take some deep breaths do some chair yoga um you know all those sorts of things are good and and i do recommend that but i guess i also kind of want to say get over it a little bit and and be thankful for where you are in life and you know you're you're in the what top 0.001% of all of the richest people who ever lived on the face of the planet mhm mm mhm mm just by the fact that you're even doing one lsat score you're all one lsat test you're already like one of the richest people that ever has lived you're one of the most fortunate people that has ever lived so <laughs> <laughs> i mean and that's a fact so yeah. <laughs> why don't i don't know change your perspective a little bit and take some deep breaths and i don't know crack a beer and just relax a little bit <laughs> does does anyone else have any questions for nathan we'll uh <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell you why it's wrong um uh, no I, I i think you make some good points there i think um I, I, like I said, I hadn't heard of this before. Avoiding eye fatigue. I think one thing you said was maybe get your glasses checked. I I wear glasses, and when I, I mean, it's only I've only had them adjusted like two, maybe three times. But right before, I noticed I was have, having trouble like reading. You know, it was like it was just a little. Things were just a little more fuzzy, and they're harder to read. And then I got my glasses adjusted, and it was totally fine. So, I. When he says eye fatigue, I, I'm wondering yeah. if that's that's what it is or something like that. Or maybe he doesn't have glasses and he needs them. Yeah. Um, I do know sometimes people, too, while they're taking the test, they'll, like, be tense, you know, because they're focusing in on trying to get the right answers and all this stuff. And they don't realize that they're holding their shoulders, like, extremely tight and they're just rigid. And so taking a half second in your uh, soft, cushy chair and... Uh, America uh, <laughs> stretch out and just like move your arms I mean it's gonna take five seconds literally and you can take a deep breath and just make sure that you're not holding yourself tight I think that can help since you're you know not get fatigued as quickly because you're not 
using all that energy just to hold yourself still. I think that's all great advice. Um, the other thing that I might add is just that um, <clears throat> if you get better at the test, the test will not be as taxing for you. Yes. Uh, it, it will become, the better you get at it, the more it will seem like a game and the more it'll seem like just sort of a fun puzzle that you get to solve. Mm -hmm. So when I hear people complaining about fatigue, it's almost always people who are kind of struggling with the, the concepts. Um, I get, yeah, I get people saying, uh, you know, I just, I just run out of gas at the end. It's, it's not that I don't understand it. It's just that I run out of gas. I'm so tired at the end. But I, it's, it's, that's, it's not true. I mean, you're telling yourself that, but the truth is you're just not yet good enough at the substance of the test. If you were better at the substance of the test, you would, I think, breeze through it and not get tired at the end. Cool. Okay. So, and yeah, go get an eye exam. Definitely go get an eye exam and, and see that that could solve it right there. Dude, so your, your dad told you, he took you out to the field, or I guess you were working with your grandparents, right? And he told you... Went out to the almond to to orchard. College. Went out to yeah. the almond orchard and, uh, yep, did some, like, piling brush, did some uh, stacking wood, did some uh, raking the, the almonds, raking them from around the tree. You rake them out into the middle of the row so that the sweeper can uh, pick them up. And, yeah, that's some hot backbreaking shit <laughs> so my dad had a slightly different way of conveying the same message or at least the college message i guess it was really important too but um we you know uh, east palo alto it's changed a lot since since i grew up there but it, it it had some pretty rough parts at least when i was living in palo alto and my dad would always drive through that on purpose wow if you don't go to college, you'll end up here, which is like totally illogical. But, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just and as a kid, you're just like, okay, dad, yeah, sure. You know, can we change the radio station? <laughs> but that's, um, yeah, I guess every parent's worried about that or something. You could try that in San Francisco. The only problem is if you tried to drive through the worst neighborhood in San Francisco, you would drive right past UC Hastings College of the Law. So <laughs> <laughs> you're going to end up here. Yeah, I'm going to end up in law school. <clears throat> yeah. Cool. Alrighty. Well, there we go. Um, yeah. If you want to get some uh, feedback from us, you can email us directly. If you want someone to be nice to you, you can email Ben at strategyprep.com. <laughs> if you want someone I'll to try to be you, more like you, Nathan, tell it how it is. Get over it. You can email Nathan at foxlsat.com. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's do a, a question from the June 2007 LSAT. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Oh, should tell the listeners, uh, the LSAC, Law School Admission Council, the people who make the LSAT, uh, they are going to charge you lots and lots of money for LSAT prep tests, but they have generously made one of their tests available. Uh, it is online. All you have to do is just Google June 2007 LSAT, and it will be definitely the first link. And you can click on that and get a PDF, and you can do the entire test. So if you want to know where you're at on the LSAT, one good thing to do is just get this test and do the whole thing, and then you'll see where you're at. But you can also, if you want to follow along with uh, this discussion, and I'm sure Ben and I will do this again on later episodes, um, if you want to look at the question that we're looking at, it's just uh, June 2007 LSAT, and we're going to start with Section 2. 
question number one. And Ben, why don't you tackle sure. it? So question one, yeah, says, oh, it starts out, this is an economist speaking. Um, and it says, every business strives to increase its productivity for this increases profits for the owners and the likelihood that the business will survive. But not all efforts to increase productivity are beneficial to the business as a whole. Often attempts to increase productivity decrease the number of employees, which clearly harms the dismissed employees as well as the sense of security of the retained employees. That's the passage. Any thoughts on that, Nathan, before I read the question? Um, I would be arguing. I, I would be arguing right off the bat. Okay, sure. I, I, because I think that's, I don't think it makes any sense. I think it's ridiculous. Um, the, so just if you follow along with the argument, you know, in the order in which it was presented, mm -hmm. the first sentence says every business strives to increase its productivity because this increases profits and the likelihood that the business will survive. I'm like, okay, sure, of course, every business strives to increase its productivity. That makes sense. Profits are good. Likelihood that the business will survive. That's good. So as a business owner, yeah, I would strive to increase the productivity, but not all efforts to increase productivity are beneficial to the business as a whole. And there I would say, huh? What? Why? What, what do you mean? Give me an example of that. Mm -hmm. And then here comes the example. Often attempts to increase productivity decrease the number of employees, which clearly harms the dismissed employees, as well as the sense of security of the retained employees. And I just, I have, a, I have a visceral gut reaction to that, which is, hey, why does harming my dismissed employees or why does harming the sense of security of my retained employees, why is that bad for my business? Um, okay, great. And so then is that where you stop or do you keep going? I think that's as far as I think I would need to go before I would read the question stem. Okay. But at that point, I feel like I have really captured, I mean, I know what's there. I know what's in the argument. I have a gut reaction to it. You could take the paper away from me now and I could repeat it. You know, mm -hmm. I could say, well, this guy's an idiot because he's telling me that it's bad for my business to harm my dismissed employees. Okay. You know, and I would say, well, my dis I dismissed them because they were not helping my business. So I don't really care about them. Yeah. And my retained employees, it they have a, a diminished sense of security. Well, maybe I want them to have a diminished sense of security. Okay. <laughs> maybe I want them to work harder. Okay. Maybe I fire the least productive employees so that the employees that I keep have a diminished sense of security so that they will start working mm -hmm. harder. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that's how I would what I would do in real life, but that's my reaction to this LSAT argument because I'm always going to be taking kind of the other side of the of the argument. So I'm always going to be looking to poke holes. I'm going to be asking the economist, you know, why are you saying this to me? What do these employees have to do with the productivity of my business as a whole? Yeah. Okay. So you're just um no matter what, you don't like it. Well, you know, sometimes I won't be able to argue because there will just be like a bunch of facts. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm sure we'll get to one of those questions. And on one of those questions, I probably will get to the question stem a lot sooner because I don't have this like gut, you know, reaction. Yeah. But here, I think if you don't have that reaction, you didn't read the argument closely enough. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, that's like the, the, really the core of my philosophy is that you need to be getting pissed off frequently after reading these arguments. Yeah. Now, one thing, this this passage wasn't super hard. Like the sentences, the individual sentences weren't super hard to read. But I do find myself as the sentence, even, even actually for easy sentences like this, I'll pause for a half second after I read a sentence just to, I guess, find what that message is or what that sentence is saying at its core. Yep. Like, oh, people are going to be happier or they're going to be less <clears throat> happier. Like this first sentence is four lines. Every business strives to increase its productivity for this increases profits for the owners and the likelihood the business will survive. I would just say, okay, got it. It's businesses strive for productivity for various reasons. Yeah, and and I, I guess I'm, I would also be doing like a, do I agree or do I disagree with that? You know, like, mm -hmm. can I make sense of that? Mm -hmm. And here, you know, I'd be going, oh, yeah, okay, that seems to be pretty reasonable to me. You know, I can see myself doing that as a business yeah. owner. I can see myself doing that. Yeah. And and I think that pause, yeah, I, I do think that's really important, um, especially if we were talking about reading comprehension. I think that pause is really important mm -hmm. to make sure that you get it. Because if you don't get that part and you just immediately start reading the next sentence, it's just going to be this like cascade effect of not understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the logic behind a lot of these is actually really not that complicated. Um, once you learn a few rules like contrapositives and if that even comes up on some of these, which it doesn't, but you know, you learn a few basic logical rules. Most people, they don't actually struggle with the logic, I think. It's more that they, once they've been explained it, it's just that they didn't like fully take in or analyze what was said. And so they just kind of have some ideas in their head as opposed to one, what was said, and two, like you're saying, what you think about it. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got to make sure that you understand what's on the page. You can't just, you can't just blast through it and get down to the answer choices. You know, you've, you've got to be probably, what, at least half the time, you've got to be answering these questions before you read the answer choices. Yeah, and I should clarify, when I say you should understand the sentence, I think most people are totally unsurprised by that, but I think they don't realize that they don't understand. Right. Like, they've read the words, they understand each of the individual words, um, but then when you say, hey, what'd that sentence say, or what'd that passage say, unlike what you just said, where you could look away from this and recap the passage, they haven't, they, they basically just start quoting it verbatim, which says to me that information wasn't turned into ideas yeah, right. that can be stored as like visual images as opposed to just yeah. or they, words. Yeah, they, they don't, right. I mean, if they were able to recite it verbatim, I would, I would say, okay, maybe you understand it. But yeah. what I find they do more, more often is they, they will just go back and start rereading it to me. Yes, exactly. And then it's like, well, wait a minute now. I'm, you know, cover up the page, take, take the page away from them. No, I want you to tell me what it said. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. they go, uh, productivity, 
um, employees. <laughs> You're like, yeah. Whoa. Um, you know what? Um, <clears throat> I've had a really interesting experience over the past few weeks. I've been um, volunteering at this local uh, elementary school and uh, working with a third grader and on um, on reading. It's called uh, Reading Partners is the name of the organization. But uh, so I've been working with this kid um, and uh, having to teach him some some reading comprehension strategies, which I've just never really even thought about before. Yeah. But um, it's it's exactly the same kinds of strategies that I think LSAT students need to be thinking about. Believe it or not, I mean it's like the exact same shit that I'm teaching the third grader is what I'm teaching my LSAT class about reading comprehension. So um, two really important things. One, we've already been talking about it is pausing and reflecting after each sentence or after after the passage um because he'll he'll read it to me and he'll read every word he'll read every word out loud Mm -hmm. but then i'll say okay what did that say and he'll have no idea what it was what it was about Mm -hmm. like he he's got the words he read the words but he did not comprehend at all and it you know so then my job is to like actually stop him after every single sentence and say okay what did that mean you know what happened first what happened next Mm -hmm. and if i can if i do it if i take it in really small bites then by the end he'll get it but if if he just reads me the story without stopping he doesn't understand the story at all yeah Okay. Um, the other technique, and this is going way off of this logical reasoning question that we're trying to do. Um, the other technique that I've been working with with him is is uh, also it's similar. It's making predictions as you read. So, um, and if I'm if I'm reflecting now on what I was doing while we were reading this economist's argument, um, I was making predictions as I read. Specifically, after I read that second sentence, when I read but not all efforts to increase productivity are beneficial to the business as a whole. I said, oh, um, like, what do you mean by that? Uh, Mm -hmm. What efforts to increase productivity are not beneficial to the business as a whole? And then I'm I'm predicting there. I'm making a prediction thinking, oh, I bet you're going to give me an example or two of an effort to increase productivity that's not beneficial to the business as a whole. Yeah. And that that I think it's something that good readers do totally subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you're struggling at all with the reading portions of the LSAT, I think you need to maybe formally uh, consciously do it to stop and pause and make a prediction about what you think is going to come next, because it's really going to increase um, your your understanding of what you're reading. Yeah, and something else that you did there, which is what I think I do as well, and that is after you read the first sentence, you said you agreed with it. Part of that assessment is relating the information that you're getting to what you already know or think about the world, which I know reading comp, they talk about how you don't need to know the information and so forth, but- bullshit. Bullshit. I mean, you yeah. don't need to. You don't need to be an expert on lichens when you're reading the passage about lichenometry. Yeah. But it it's you, you do need to be a human being in the world. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no. Ex- I mean, it's exactly like you take that information. You first, you have to understand what it was literally saying, and then react to it 
assess it. What do you think about it? And I'm in doing that, I'm relating it to what I already know. And sometimes it's raising questions in my mind. That's in, I didn't, you know, I've heard about radio carbon dating, but I haven't heard of lichenometry. What, you know, what is this? Is this, is this better? Um, or, you know, at least that's what they might claim or they might claim that it's worse or whatever. But I, I think that sometimes when I'm talking to people, they're, they're, not, they're not having this internal dialogue. Um, not that it's that lengthy, but they're not really engaging with each idea. And if I don't do that, if I just read straight down, then I feel like I'm going into the answer choices and now choosing them based on word matching or something, you know, superficial that has nothing to do with an intuitive understanding of what the heck has just happened. Yeah, <clears throat> I think, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you really have to engage with the content itself. So, and that's when, I mean, it drives me nuts when I hear people talking about reading comprehension, like, oh yeah, well, I mean, I just read the questions and then I refer back to, I don't even read the passage. I just read the questions and then I refer back to the passage and you can answer almost all the questions that way. It's like, no way. <laughs> Come on. You don't really, there's no, there's no way that's the best way to do the reading comprehension. Yeah. Um, you need to engage with the material. You need to be a thoughtful, critical, curious thinker <laughs> and yeah. you need to you need to be patient you know if if there were words in this economist's argument that gave you a hard time or if the first sentence which was four lines if that was too long and it was hard for you to digest it you need to slow down maybe you need to reread it but if you're not engaging in a intellectual you know conversation here with this economist you're you are making the test way harder than it needs to be Ultimately, what the economist said here is not that hard to understand, but you do have to be patient enough to, to really make sure that you get it. And you got to do that before you go down and look at those answer choices. Yeah, I think. Um, and of course, the, the common complaint is, oh, I don't have time to do that. But the reality is you don't have time to not do that. Right. Because that's when you, well, you can go quickly and get them wrong. I mean, it's, it's just kind of a choice. Yeah, the people who finish early are almost always the ones who miss all the questions. You know, the the people who run out of time on the last two very frequently do do really well because they were patiently engaging with with the arguments. And um, you know, this is question number one. It the questions in the first ten tend to be quite a bit easier than the questions that you'll see later in the test. And um, you just can't speed through question number one and miss it. You really need to slow down and make sure you get it right. And I, I think it'll be easy if you slow down. Mm -hmm. um, you can make it hard for yourself if you try to go a little bit too fast, though. Yeah. All right. Wanna so then the going? question goes, wait, what? Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So the question then says, which one of the following most accurately expresses the main conclusion of the economist's argument? Um, my reaction to this type of question is always to, if I haven't identified the main conclusion already, which is almost always been identified by this point, but regardless to have an exact conclusion in my mind before I go into the answer choices, because this is a question I feel like you, there is an answer. And so you can answer it without seeking help from the answer choices. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I think main conclusion questions, maybe more than any other type of question on the test, uh, main conclusion questions, you have to predict the answer before you read the answer choices. The answer choices here, all they're going to do is just restate uh, each element of the argument. <clears throat> Maybe they're going to tweak it in ways that make it wrong, but it's going to basically just rehash all the different elements. And so if you don't know what you're looking for here, you're just going to find all the traps and you're not going to find the right answer. So how, how would you go about identifying the conclusion of this economist's argument? Well... This one, since we had, as your question, you know, we read the first sentence, and then we read the second sentence, which says, but not all efforts to increase productivity are beneficial to the business as a whole. And that's where you asked yourself, why? You know, yeah. what? that's surprising, given what you just said. Yeah. And then they answered that question, maybe not satisfactorily, but they tried to answer that question in the, or this economist did in the next sentence. So that screams to me, that's evidence for why the economist thinks the second sentence is true. So that sounds like the second sentence is the main point. And all our responses center on that. So the word but is a little bit of a clue, but it's not definitive by any means, but can appear in evidence or in other parts of the argument. But given the content of the last sentence, that second sentence has to be the main conclusion. So then I would just go into the answer choices looking for something that most closely restates that. The second sentence, yeah, the totally. Second sentence. The yeah. second sentence was the thing that made me go, huh, what, what, how, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking, what's your evidence for that? And then they gave me evidence for that. Mm -hmm. And because they were giving me evidence for that, well, then that is the conclusion of the argument. So, yeah, we, we would both go into the answer choices here looking for not all efforts to increase productivity are beneficial to the business as a whole. Yep. Okay. Go ahead. So answer choice, should we go through these? Or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So answer choice A says, if an action taken to secure the survival already, I'm starting to hurl. Yeah, I would probably stop reading after the first line there yeah well how come well because it's qualified with the word if exactly <laughs> yeah. um <clears throat> there was no if then anywhere this was not a conditional reasoning argument there was no if that there were no if then statements in the in the, the argument i'm looking for not all efforts to increase productivity are beneficial to the business as a whole i don't see how you could get there from if an action taken to secure the survival, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, um, hurling there. I, I don't think I need to read any more of that. Now that doesn't mean yeah. that it's a hundred percent not the answer. That's right. Absolutely. It just means that on a first pass, that's not a good suspect. I have a really strong idea what I'm looking for, and yeah. A just doesn't look like it. I agree. And if and if you're not sure, I mean, you can keep reading, and the answer choice goes on to say if blah 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 then that action cannot be good for the business as a whole. And right there, I'd say, no way, cannot goes too far because yeah. it just said not all efforts, which suggests maybe yeah. some can be good, and I would cross it out. But I, I think it's important, actually, that the listeners realize that this is how people like uh, us go fast on the test, is that we take all the time we need 
to understand the economist's argument, we make strong predictions about what we're looking for. And then once we get to the answer choices, we're going to be really pretty quick to dismiss answer choices frequently without even reading them all the way through. Yeah. Right? If you're going to yeah. go fast, go fast on the answer choices. I mean, go slow is my best advice. It's just go slow. <laughs> but but if you have a really strong prediction here, I, I just don't think you need to read all of A to realize like this doesn't seem like it's on the right track at all. So rather than like I don't I don't take time to conclusively disprove wrong answer choices. Mm -hmm. Do you? I mean you could no. if you had to. No, so I guess yeah, just to clarify. So if I see that something is definitely wrong and it didn't take a lot of effort to get there, then of course I'll just cross it out and that was my disproof or whatever. But if I read an answer choice and I'm like, uh, not feeling it. What I what I will do is I won't cross it out, but I won't also think too much about it. I'll just look to see if I can find something better. And if I have to come back to it, sometimes I do and I say, wow, nothing else was good. And now let me try to understand yeah. this. Oh, I guess it makes sense. Um, even if at the first, first run through it didn't. But basically I'm just going through, I'm getting rid of anything that's quickly and obviously wrong. I'm leaving over, leaving open anything that doesn't make 100% sense, but I'm not taking the time to really understand it. And then if I find something, great. If I don't, then I'll go back and work, you know, start trying to figure out the one or two that yeah. are left. Right. Okay. Want to move on to B? Yeah. Some measures taken by a business to increase productivity fail to be beneficial to the business as a whole. What do you think? Um, <laughs> Sounds pretty good. We were looking for not all efforts to increase productivity are beneficial to the business as a whole. B says some measures taken by a business to increase productivity fail to be beneficial to the business as a whole. Um, that's the exact same thing. The wording is perfect. Yeah. So at this point, um, what would you do? Well, I mean, that's going to be the answer. Yeah. Uh, but so what I would do now is I would just skim C, D, and E. Um, yep. And and the only time that I would give C, D, or E any real um, credit is if they would it would have to slap me in the face as like, nope, this is exactly what you were looking for. Yeah. Uh, because there could be something hidden wrong with B. Yeah, that we don't um, see. That, that we don't see yet. But the only reason why I'm going to even give B that much scrutiny is if C, D, or E convinces me that, that I, I need to give B a closer look. Exactly. And looking right, I mean, just scanning down without even reading these completely, <clears throat> it's very easy to get rid of them. C starts out with only if, which is a huge problem. Right. Again, it's a conditional statement. There never was any conditional statements. There were no there were no clear if then or only ifs in the argument. We had often and not all. So only if, you know, setting up this necessary condition, there's no way that's going to be the answer. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess I'll just read it for the sake of the listeners, but it's just I wouldn't read this on the test. It says only if the employees of a business are also its owners. I mean, this is just <laughs> owners uh, it has well, nothing to do yeah the employees of the business being the owners it has nothing to do with it we don't need to read the rest of it that's okay. that's we're, we're done let's move on to d we're done okay so yeah. then then d also 
has serious problems right at the beginning. It says, there is no business. And I'm thinking, wow, that's pretty absolute. Um, but anyways, it keeps going. That does not make efforts to increase its productivity. This one is a little, is at least, it's at least part of the argument, right? Yes, it is. The absoluteness comes from the first sentence, which said every business, right? But the absoluteness we did not see in the conclusion. No, it just wasn't the conclusion of the argument. I mean, I think D is restating the first sentence of the argument. Every yep. business strives to increase its productivity. There is no business that does not make efforts to increase its productivity. Yeah, okay. So D was definitely in the argument, but it just wasn't the conclusion part of the argument. Yep. We were looking for not all efforts to increase productivity are beneficial to the business as a whole because that was the part of the argument that you know aroused our curiosity and made us think, oh, where's your evidence for that? Um, and that's, you know, we, we had a strong prediction. D does not match our strong prediction. I would be moving on to E. Uh, e says, decreasing the number of employees. This is already going into the premise territory, into the evidence that the argument provided. Um, but in any case, the answer says, decreasing the number of employees in a business undermines the sense of security of retained employees. And it's a premise of the argument, right? Yeah. Um, what if you had narrowed it down to B and E here? Uh, B and E? Well, then I would ask, I mean, at that point I would ask myself which idea supports which idea. And so since E seems more like support for B than the other way around, I would go with B. I mean, um, the fact that measures taken by a business to increase productivity fail to be beneficial to the business as a whole doesn't really tell me anything about employees or their sense of security, but in knowing that employees who they, or I guess decreasing the number of employees, undermines their sense of security, that would help me start to understand why a business might fail to, you know, what was it? Or why an action taken by a business to increase productivity wouldn't necessarily be beneficial to the business as a whole. Yeah. And so, yeah. We have a lot of ways to get there. Um, you know, the best way on a main conclusion question is simply to just predict. You you know what the conclusion of the economist's argument is, and so you go down and you find it. And we did find it. B B was the answer. But if we hadn't made quite as good of a prediction, or if we if we weren't totally sure, if we had narrowed it down to a fifty fifty here between B and E, one quick test is just to read B therefore E. And let me just show you what that would sound like. So this is this is testing the idea that maybe E is the conclusion of the argument. Let's see if it makes sense. B first, some measures taken by a business to increase productivity fail to be beneficial to the business as a whole. Therefore, decreasing the number of employees in a business undermines the sense of security of retained employees. And that that makes me puzzled. That doesn't that doesn't it doesn't make sense that way. Yeah. So now I'm going to read it in the other order. <clears throat> read E first and then I'm going to say therefore and then I'm going to read B and we're going to see if it makes sense. 
decreasing the number of employees in a business undermines the sense of security of retained employees. Therefore, some measures taken by a business to increase productivity fail to be beneficial to the business as a whole. And that, that's satisfying, right? E mm-hmm. gave you reason to believe B. So when you read E and then you say therefore and then you read B, it makes sense that way. Yeah. And that's really strong evidence. I mean, that confirms it 100% that B is the conclusion of the argument and B is the answer to this question. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. Well, that only took us about 20 minutes to do one question. Um, obviously, we would have done it much quicker um, in in real speed. Yeah, we, we tend to do three or four questions. We get them all right. And then we go on to the next section. <laughs> Extremely high accuracy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben. Well, I think that was great. Is there anything uh, else you want to add before we wrap it up? No, that's yeah. I'm good. That was awesome. We'll come back and do uh, more questions from the June 2007 LSAT uh, on future shows. Definitely um, download that test if you haven't already. Just Google June 2007 LSAT. Uh, download that test, give the questions a shot, and then uh, you can follow along with us in future episodes when we review some more logical reasoning questions. Um, all right, Ben, go uh, go check out those cherry blossoms. Yeah, <laughs> I will. Thanks. All right, buddy. Talk to you next time. Bye.